0: Good morning. Uh, turn in the Bible to Acts chapter 13, uh, verse 13, uh, in Acts 13, verse 52. Uh, we're looking at this morning. We're continuing um, from last week. And, you know, one simple thing I just want to say at first is that to make a difference in life, you, you have to do some things, right? You have to do some things. You have to also believe some things, you Have to Get Your Feet Dirty, and that's the title of the message this morning, and that's what we see in the passage that we're studying in Acts 13 this morning. Last week, uh, we had a guest preacher, uh, Jamie Mitchell, and he gave an excellent sermon on Acts 12, verse 25, through Acts chapter 13, verse 12. So the passage right before this, we looked at last week, and what we're looking at is the, what is called the first missionary journey of Paul. We're in the book of Acts, it's a study of the early church, and now they didn't think of it as their first missionary journey, for them it was just they're going out to share Christ. We think of it that way because we look at all of Acts and we see different times when they went out, so we say first missionary journey. But last week we started to look at that, and they were sent out, Paul and Barnabas, or actually Barnabas and Saul, as they were called, uh, from the church at Antioch in Syria. And they went to the island of Cyprus, that is Barnabas's home island, and they shared the gospel. They led a guy, the proconsul Sergius Paulus, to the Lord. Anyways, you saw this last week. If you were here, if you weren't, you could check it out. But so from there, they're on this island in the Mediterranean um, called Cyprus, and it's actually the Aegean Sea, and they are now going to leave there and go to the southern coast of Turkey and continue in their journey. And what we're going to see this morning, and really the main idea, the big idea, is about doing and believing hard and great and biblical things for others and for ourselves. That's what we're going to see here in in this story about these missionaries. And so I just want to pray for our time, pray for our study of the Word. Normally, I would read the entire passage here and then pray, and this morning, I'm just going to pray. And then we're going to read the passage as we go through it in our outline. So bow with me. Lord, we thank you uh, this morning just for your Word, and uh, God, help us to be people like Jesus who do hard things, great things, glorious things, biblical things. God, thank you that you've done those things for us. So, Lord, thank you that you promise to be our strength as things get hard in life. And so, God, we just ask uh, that you'd bless the studying of your word this morning. Lord, would you feed us from your word this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Getting your feet dirty. So again, yeah, um, doing and believing hard, great, and biblical things for ourselves, well, for others, and and for ourselves. And so the first point, there's really two points this morning. It's very, very simple. Do things, believe things. That's the outline. Do things, believe things. I mean, it's a little more than that, but if you want to remember it, do things, believe things. So the first one is do hard, great, biblical things. Verse 12, or I'm sorry, verse 13 through 15. So, so let's look at verse 13. Acts chapter 13. Look at verse 13. Let me get there too. Now, watch this. Now, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, he said, and so we'll get into that in a second. So so the first point is do hard, great, and biblical things. And so the first thing, I just want to make a quick observation before we drop into a sort of like a sub-point on this point, okay? Um, Notice that it is Paul and his companions. All through Acts, so far, it's been Barnabas and Saul. And word order matters in the Bible. So it's been Barnabas and Saul. When they went to Cyprus, it was Barnabas and Saul, and that's where Barnabas is from, Now they're leaving there, and they're really going into new frontiers. They're going into the area of the world that God has uniquely called Paul to reach as a, I guess, apostle to the Gentiles. So they're going into this frontier, and Luke shifts his terminology to now be Paul and his companions. And that's significant. It's a change in acts. It's a change in leadership, which may have impacted some things, and we'll unpack that in a second. So so verse um, 13, what I want to draw from verse 13 and just kind of a point under this do hard, great, and biblical things is this. Don't quit things just because it's hard. Don't quit things just because it's hard. In other words, don't be Mark. Don't be John Mark. Be Paul. (laughs) Be his companions. I mean, okay, because... That's really what happens here. We see that John left them, and we're going to talk about that. I want to share with you a quick story. I, a couple of weeks ago, I don't know why I did this, and I certainly do not share this as an aspect of boasting, but I signed up for a 10K, and I completed said 10K um, by myself a couple of weeks ago, and not even really many people knew about it, and I think that's because I wanted to be able to not do it in the the last minute in case that was necessary. Um, I don't like running. Uh, I didn't train very much. Um, And I had two people that were supposed to do it with me, and they both backed out. One of them backed out like months in advance. Uh, The other one uh, backed out the night before. In fact, right after the 10K, the one who backed out texted me. and said, how was it? I just said, lonely. And then I closed my phone. (laughs) Like, I still kind of struggling through it a little bit. The, um, so so I, I went and I did this 10K, and I, I can tell you, like, the night before, I, I couldn't sleep. I was restless. I literally had the thought, I don't think I've ever not wanted to do something more in my entire life. I just was like, I don't want to go. It was actually in Fuquay, and I, if you come to our church and hear a lot of my sermons, I like to joke about Fuquay. It's just kind of a fun thing, but at, so so part of it was just even that, and then it was um, it was I was doing it by myself. I wasn't going to know anybody, and I was just like, man, I do not want to do this. I have every reason, legitimate reason, to not do it. Uh, my friend backed out. My fr- other friend backed out the night of. I wasn't feeling good, you know, anyways. The only reason I did it was because I didn't want to have the story of not doing it. Uh, I had one person who was encouraging me, and I'm still kind of mad that they were, and that I was kind of accountable to, and I knew they were going to ask me about it, and I just didn't want to have the story of not doing it. And so I did it. And I remember in the race, like, we all start running, right? And then at some point, little bit into the first mile, I sort of slowed down a little bit. I start walking. And and I'm thinking, and this is just like confessions of like the pastor, like how really prideful I am. Like it, at that moment, I was like, all right, that's fine. I'm going to walk a little bit. Um, I think God has put me here uh, to be sort of a permission giver for people who need to walk. And um, I mean, seriously, these are the thoughts in my mind. Like, it's just really weird and awkward how you're working through all this sanctification. And and then I'm I'm running, walking, running, walking, kind of getting closer to the end. All right, this is a true story. I've only told my children and wife this story. And I'm getting to the end and I'm like, okay, I need to finish this race. And there's this lady kind of running. I'm not really even running. I don't know if you would call it running, but there's a lady like in front of me and she's like, let's just say she's kind of running awkwardly. All right. And I looked at her and I was like, all right, I need like a, I need like a little goal to help me finish. So I was like, I'm going to beat her. (laughs) Like I'm going to beat her and I can beat her and I'm going to beat her across the finish line. And so I'm like, that's my goal for the rest of the little while. I'm just going to stay next to her and I'm going to beat her at the end. And so, so then at one point she slows down and she runs right next to me and she's like, Hey, I'm like, why is she talking to me? And she said, Just want to let you know you're running with a next, you're keeping up with a finisher of the Boston Marathon. And I'm like, what? Like, what is happening right now? I think it was her second time around. Um, And (laughs) I was just like, okay, thanks. Uh, Let's just keep going and cross the finish line, true story. And she, I didn't know anyone. And she runs up to me and gives me a high five. And I was just like, man, what a weird day. And, and I believe that God put that person there and multiple people there to humble me. And now I share that story only because, I mean, in addition to it just being kind of funny, I, I do think it's important not to quit. I actually don't think that that is really a very great thing that I did. Kind of hard for me. Not really a biblical thing necessarily. But what we're looking at this morning is... And many of the things that God calls us to are great, are hard, and are biblical things. And it is actually important that we not have the story of quitting. So look at verse 13. It says, and Luke just puts this here and just kind of puts it there. John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now this John is also called John Mark. It's also Mark. It's the writer of the Gospel of Mark. This is his early days. He left them. He didn't continue with them. He went back to Jerusalem. You'll recall it was his mom's house where they were having the prayer meeting, where the servant girl answered the door when Peter got released from prison, but then she didn't let him in. That was his mom's house. She was perhaps affluent. She had her own house in Jerusalem. Maybe Mark grew up affluent. Anyways, he didn't want to keep going with Paul and Barnabas. Where were they going? Why did he back out? I just want to show you. So they sailed from Cyprus. There'll be a map. They sailed from Cyprus to the coast of what is Turkey, the southern coast of Turkey. And and that would have been about 229 miles. And so they're going by boat and land. And then when they get there, and just the purple there is the part that we're looking at this morning in terms of Paul's movements in the missionary journey. And, And then when they get to the city of Perga, they then... That's where John left them. John was like, you know what, guys, I'm out. I'm going to Jerusalem. But they went from there up to the city of Antioch. Now, this is a different Antioch than the one they were sent out from. There were like 10 Antiochs, just like there's multiple. Washingtons, Nashvilles, whatever. There were a bunch of Antiochs in the Roman Empire. So they went to Antioch Pisidia. Now, why is this interesting? Because they would have had to go through the mount. They would have gone through what is called the Taurus Mountain Range in the southern part of Turkey. And you can see a picture where those mountains are. And this is the journey that they were going to be taking. Another picture here that you can see of what the Taurus Mountains look like. This is what Paul and Barnabas were about to do. They're about to do something hard. They're about to take the gospel To this influential city in the region of, you know, Galatia. They're about to go to Antioch of Galatia. And, and, you know, it says in in Romans 10 how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Because they are feet that didn't quit, they are feet that, that made a hard journey to get to the people who need to hear about Jesus. It's interesting. We know that this is in Galatia. This city of Antioch is in the region of Galatia. Just a few months later, Paul will write his letter of Galatians back to some of these people that he would go and reach. And he'll say to them, and I want to show you this verse in Galatians chapter 4. It says, You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And so some people think that the reason Paul went that 3,600 feet incline in elevation was to get to a higher ground where he was healthier and safer from the malarian flu that was around the coast. Some people think it was because he was sick that he had to get up high. Some people think it was because Sergius Paulus, the guy that they led to the Lord on the island of Cyprus, had family and friends in this city of Antioch, which we know he did. And so they went there. They sort of followed his advice. Who knows, really? Why did John not go? Did John not like how things had now changed from Barnabas and Saul? Because Barnabas was his uncle to being Paul and his companions. Did did John not think it was wise to make this journey while being sick or because of being sick? Did John just miss home? We don't know. We know that later in Acts, Barnabas is going to, they're going to go out on another missionary journey and Barnabas is going to say, hey, let's bring uh, John Mark. Let's bring him. And Paul's going to say, no. In Acts 15, he's going to say, he withdrew from us. He deserted us before. He's not coming. And Barnabas and Saul, Paul, will have a sharp disagreement and go separate ways at that time. So, it's kind of fun to talk about this stuff. We don't know why he bailed, why he quit. But what do we know? What we know is that Luke's recording it for us. Luke felt it was noteworthy to mention it here, I believe, to challenge us not to be quitters. Not to quit in doing the things we know to be God's will, especially taking salvation to those lost around us. Have you quit? Are you pretending you have not quit on the outside, but you have quit on the inside in areas of hope and effort? How have you quit? Where have you quit? Family? Reaching your friends or neighbors for the Lord? Church? What would it mean for you today to heed this challenge from Luke and to re engage with the strength that the Lord provides and not quit? Doing and believing hard, great, and biblical things. Don't quit just because it's hard. There are reasons to quit, okay? Don't argue with me later. Like, hey, you know, sometimes it's time to quit. Necessary Endings, a book by Henry Cloud. Like, I get it. Don't quit just because it's hard, though. Second sub-point. Do things God's way. The end and means matter. Verse 14 and 15. In other words, what what this point is about is it's saying, be willing to take the long way. Go first to the synagogue. Get your butt kicked by jealous Jews because that's how God said to do it. Sometimes, you know, we we say things like, the end justifies the means. Has anyone heard that before? Things like, you know, uh, well, like getting... A good Supreme Court judge appointed justifies the, you know, the means of it having to go through that to get that. We say things like that, right? In smaller ways, you know, if this person knows this truth, it will cause a bigger problem. That's the end. So I will just tell them a small lie. That's the means. So we justify the end or the means by the end. Or, this person, if they remain alive, they are a threat to our country. That's the end. Therefore, Jason Bourne can assassinate them with no questions asked. That's the means. Okay? We justify the means with the end that we perceive to be okay. Maybe we do something like this we say, well, they will say no anyway, and it will be awkward. That's the end. And we use that end to justify the means, so I'm not going to share about Christ with them people in my life. There's a funny story. Uh, in early days of our church, we had um, a smaller building and we would do communion and we would, the ushers would walk down the aisles and they would pass the grape juice and the bread out each aisle, you know, here you go, here you go, here you go. And we had this, um, this one uh, married couple who attended our church every week and um, I don't believe that they were members, but they attended our church every week. And uh, the the wife was adamantly not a Christian, like just very open. I'm not a Christian, but I'm here to support my husband who is or says he is. And so we're here every week, long time. They came and still here. How are you doing? I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like awkward, but uh, anyways. Uh, so so we would do communion. <laughs> And, and the ushers would, would bring this stuff down the aisle. And every Sunday when we would do communion, they would hand it to uh, this girl. She'd be like, nope, I'm good. And then pass it to her husband and then down the road, right? So, so eventually, uh, one Sunday, one week, the ushers were like, you know what? I think it would just be more efficient for everybody if we just made that decision for her. And so they were like, you know what, um, here you go, we'll just reach that right around you and pass it over there. Oh, man. <laughs> it So offended. Done with us. Is that really fair? Uh, I don't know. It's just an illustration. <laughs> I mean, it's a true story, but the focus on efficiency failed, and it always does. And and that's what we see here. You know, it says in verse 14, and on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. Now, I want you to consider what they're doing here. Three quick things. One, the church that sent Paul and his companions out on this missionary trip was a Gentile church in the other Antioch, mostly non-Jews there. They were sent out by them to reach non-Jews, to go reach Gentiles. So that's their sending church. Then Paul knew from his encounter with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, Paul knew that his primary calling in his life was not to reach Jews, but to reach Gentiles. In fact, Jesus said to him in red letters, he said, you're being called and saved for a purpose, and it's to open the eyes of the Gentiles to help them turn from darkness to light, the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among God's people. So that's Paul's calling. So they're sent by a Gentile church to reach Gentiles. Paul's calling is to reach Gentiles. And almost all the resistance to the gospel in the book of Acts so far has been from jealous Jewish people in synagogues. If ever there was a time that you could justify by the pretty predictable end the means of, let's just skip that step, the synagogue step, let's skip it. Let's set up shop in the center of town and go with the gospel toward the more receptive, more obviously going to be fruitful situation with sharing with the Gentiles. If ever there was a time that that would be you know, justified, it was now. Why didn't they? The answer is this. They knew. Paul knew that however hard or inefficient it was, it was God's will that they always go first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. In fact, later in this passage, we'll read these verses in a second. Paul and Barnabas, in verse 46, it says, spoke out boldly saying, watch this, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. All right? First to the Jew, then to the Gentiles. This was just the way God wanted it done. I mean, God chose Israel Um, God sent His Messiah, His one and only Son, to Israel. Jesus was Jewish, and so it made sense, and it was a conviction that when the gospel was going to a new place, that the Jews who were in that place would be told about their Messiah first, and then everyone else, even if they would reject it. So, it was important to do things God's way. It was important to do things God's way. What does that have to do with us? What's the application for us with that? I think it's helpful to remember that God is a God who not only cares about outcomes, but cares about how things get done. He cares about how we get there. He wants to be honored in the means and the end. They both matter to God. And this is what we see in Paul and Barnabas when they said it was necessary that we go first to you. So here's the question. Where in life are we telling ourselves? God doesn't care how I get this done. He knows my heart. Where in life are we focused on efficiency and comfort more than on doing hard things and doing things God's way, even if they may be slower, and truly they may be slower. Are we willing to do the little things and the hard things the way God asked us to do them? Hard things over comfort, care and love over efficiency, quality over quantity, being generous and present over skipping. Do hard, great, and biblical things. Don't quit just because it's hard. Do things God's way. The end and means matter. Now point 2. So do things and believe things. So the second point is believe hard, great, and biblical things. So we have a lot of verses here. This is verse 16 through 52. So this is Paul stands up in the synagogue and he shares a sermon This is one of Paul's three sermons in the book of Acts, and they will go to three different audiences. This is the one to the Jews in the synagogue. In Acts 17, he'll preach to Gentiles at Mars Hill. And then in Acts 20, he'll preach to the church, to the elders at Ephesus and to the church. And so so Luke is really writing this and crafting the book of Acts and intentionally giving us this sermon by Paul. Surely Paul preached hundreds, if not thousands of sermons. But this one he shares with us. So as you break it down, like what do we see here? First of all, verse 16 through 41 is the sermon. Verse 42 through 52 is the reaction to it. Paul is going to, he's going to go from Abraham all the way to Jesus at the be- beginning of the sermon. And I, I want you to note very closely as we read that how God is the action, he is the subject of every verb. I want you to look at that. And then Paul's going to talk about how John the Baptist pointed to Jesus. And then he's going to give the core message of Jesus' death and resurrection. And we're just going to go through it, okay? So let's go through it. Uh, So the first point here under this believe, so there's going to be three things. Believe hard, great, and biblical things. The first one is this. Believe that the death and resurrection of Jesus is God's plan for salvation. Now you might say, look, I'm at church this morning, I'm a Christian, I believe that. But Paul's in a synagogue trying to say this to people who would have resisted it. So look with me at verse 16 through 37 here. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. So quickly, right there, he's saying to the Jews and to the maybe Gentiles who were really into Judaism, that's the audience. So everyone's really into Judaism. So it's a Jewish sermon. Verse 17, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers. Again, God is the subject of the verbs. Watch how overwhelming it is that God is at work. So God chose. He chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. You see that? He made them great. And with uplifted arm, do you see it? He led them out of it. And for about 40 years, He put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king of whom he testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse. Here's a famous verse. This is a famous verse, and now you know where it is. Here he says, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, that's David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. So, so you see how Paul goes out of his way to give them a little sort of history lesson from Abraham all the way to Jesus. Every verb, God is the subject of it. God is working. God is doing everything. He chose them. He sent a savior to them. He promised to them. Now, he he, he goes back and he's talking here about John the Baptist. He says. Before, I'm looking at verse 24, before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, no, but behold, after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. So John the Baptist was known. He was known in the synagogues of this region. We know that the people in Ephesus knew about John the Baptist. And so so Paul goes out of his way to say, yeah, you guys know about John the Baptist. He pointed to Jesus, just like I'm doing today. Verse 26, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent this message of this salvation. So now he's going to give the core message of the gospel for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every sabbath fulfilled them by condemning him do you see what he's doing here he's like they they read the, you know they have sabbath they read the bible just like you guys and they were doing it and the, here's what they did even though they read it they didn't understand it but they fulfilled it By condemning the innocent, sinless Son of God, the Messiah. Verse 28. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. All right. Here's another verb where God is the subject. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus as also it is written in the second psalm. And he's going to go through some psalms here. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. That's Psalm 2:7, 7 and verse 34. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. Here's Psalm 16. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says in another Psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. But verse 36, David, after he served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. That means he died and was laid with his fathers, and saw corruption. But he, whom God raised up, did not see corruption. I'll stop there. So believe hard, great, and biblical things. So, so from these verses, the thing for us to believe, because you have to do things, hard things, and believe hard things, and great things, and biblical things. The thing here is that the death and resurrection of Jesus is God's plan of salvation. That the God who, the saving God, the promising God of the Old Testament that was the the subject of all of those verbs, that, that he now has raised up Jesus from the grave. You know, Paul wasn't looking to believe in Jesus. He was persecuting Christians, and it was when he was confronted with the cold, hard facts of the resurrection of Jesus that he had to become a follower. Resurrection is is a receipt that, that the price has been paid for our sins. The debt has been paid in full. And we are forgiven. And so we must believe this hard thing, this great thing, this biblical thing, that the death and resurrection of Jesus is God's plan for salvation. The second thing is that we must believe that justification, that is being right with God, is by faith in Jesus alone and not by works. Not by works. Let me read to you verse 38 through 41. So, continuing right where we stopped, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look at you scoffers! Be astounded and perish! For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells you." The point here is believe that being right with God is by faith in Jesus alone and not by works. Remember, this this area where Paul is is the Galatians. And that may mean something to you if you know the heart of the message of Galatians is people who wanted to be justified by the law. Notice when Paul gave that whole recollection of the history of Israel, did you notice that he left out Moses? He didn't even mention his name. He only mentions him here, and it's sort of negatively. Now Paul wasn't negative on Moses, but the point is, what they needed to hear, and what we need to hear, is that forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to us in Christ. And that by Christ, Everyone who believes is, do you see it? Freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Forgiveness of sin. The washing away of the debt of our sins before a holy God available only through Christ. Freedom from from what we're trying to be freed from by the law or by good works. Free from what? What? condemnation, trying to justify ourselves, trying to be okay, trying to somehow be right with God, be right with others. Paul's saying, you've been failing to do that, right? You have. You've never been able to be fully free through the law, but now in Christ, you can be free. That's the point. Believe hard things, great things, biblical things, that the death of Jesus and his resurrection is God's plan for salvation. That justification that it's, that it's by faith in Jesus alone is not by works at all. And to just slam this home, he's going to close out. And I'll give you this third sub-point, and it is this. Believe that even my personal decision to believe is only God's grace is only God's grace. Let me just, let's just read all of verse 42 through 50 real quick, and then we'll focus in on one verse. As so, so as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And, and after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Wow. Some people think Luke was exaggerating there. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out, we looked at this earlier, boldly saying, they said this to the Jews, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you, watch this, you thrust it aside, and you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Wow. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I've made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, watch this, here's our verse. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. I'll stop for a second there. So the point here about believing hard, great biblical things is that we are even here, Luke is encouraging you this morning and me to believe that even your personal decision to believe is only by God's grace. Verse 48 said it. Did you see it? When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying God. Did you see it? As many... Who believed? Who believed? As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. We get no credit in our salvation. God gets all the credit and all the glory. He is the subject of all the verbs. One uh, pastor famously explained this, this mystery, if you see it that way, as thinking of entering into the Christian faith as a huge door in the shape of a cross. And above that door hangs a sign that says, whoever so will, they may come. But as you pass through that door, as you become a follower of Christ, you then look back at the inside of that door. And you see another sign that humbles you. That says chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world as many as were appointed to eternal life, that's who believed. Paul will later say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So it's like believing a hard thing. Now, Luke is just saying this as he's commenting on what happened. He's not saying Paul started preaching uh, like predestination to the people in Antioch. He's not saying that. He's just commenting on what happened for us. That we might gain this heart of humility toward our own relationship with God and toward our own faith. Doing and believing hard, great, and biblical things for others, and for ourselves. And so we'll just finish it. Verse 51. They shook off, this is Paul and Barnabas, they shook off the dust from their feet against them. That's against the Jews. It's like, all right, we're washing our hands of this, we're shaking the dust off our feet. Jesus told them to do this in Luke 9. And they went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit doing and believing hard, great, biblical things. Like Jesus, who is greater than Moses, who even though David was a man after God's own heart, mentioned in this passage, Jesus greater than David. Jesus greater than John the Baptist. Jesus greater than Paul. Jesus greater than and great enough to restore Mark. Jesus greater than you and me, Hebrews 12, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the hard thing, the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God.